Welcome to the Design Podcast. I'm Ashton Snook, and this is the show where we connect you with the creators and makers behind some of today's best-known brands and products. Today, we're joined by Neil Firmson, a dear colleague of mine and global creator director at Vodafone Smart Tech. Neil's career spans just under three decades, in which he's spent time working with world-renowned brands such as Land Rover, Google, Unilever, Dyson, amongst many others. In this episode, we unpack Neil's journey from his very first gig to founding his own agency, Itchy, and his move from 20 plus years in agency to being our in-house creative director at SmartTech. We also spend time reflecting on our joint experiences, what a creative director means in the modern world, and we also expand on what we're creating together at SmartTech. Let's get into it. Neil, how's it going, mate? Yeah, happy to be here. So, um, so Neil, we've been working together at Smart Tech for just over six months now. I will on the design side, and my team, you look after creative direction um, for the company, and together we're fashioning this this new um, brand and product experience uh, for for this global audience. Before we dive into that, I wonder if I could pick um, your brains a little bit and learn a bit more around your history. Obviously, we've we've caught up, and you know, uh, from time to time, we have coffee or beer virtually, of course. Um, but I thought it'd be an amazing thing for, for the community to understand the journey that you, you've been on, um, where you've gone to, how you've grown and developed your career, and if there are any highlights. And I'm sure we'll probably end up with tons of rabbit holes, but um, you've, been, you've been doing creative design uh, in field for what, around 30 years now? Yeah, not, not far off that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know whether that's a good or a bad thing, but I'm still, you know, I'm still hanging on here, in here for dear life. So must be a good thing all in all for sure so yeah i guess you could say my intro into the creative world has been relatively traditional albeit sometimes through unorthodox unorthodox channels at times mm. so i started off in the music industry and the video games industry which in many ways is a complete and utter playground for creativity uh where often uh, most of the rules are broken <laughs> it's probably the very best and worst starts to your career you could have as a designer because you immediately forget all the stricter rules that you've learned along the way and you abandon them for a more anarchic approach. I'd often like it, liken it to learning a, uh, to drive a car. So you've got to either embrace all those rules and become a, a model citizen driver or you throw those rules out the window and you do it your own way. So. Uh, it, in retrospect, that's not always the right approach, but I think I believe you know the latter has kind of served me well in terms of my career path and the, or at least the career path that I've um, taken. So I wouldn't I wouldn't always outwardly say that I'm a designer or or at least a designer's designer. I'm very much mm. a a a, a create a creative who likes working with more um, rigid rigidly structured designers. And people in those fields that's the benefit of being a creative director you can kind of you become a bit of a a kind of a, 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 a an orchestrator of greater and a creative talent so that's the way i like to put it so it's about collaborating with the right people that is a that is a good way to look at it i mean talking of the creative director role and we we again maybe we should have spoken about this before but mm. i think it's always interesting to try and explain the difference between a design director mm. and a creative director um, both serve in similar needs, but in, in slightly different ways. Yes. How, how would you articulate the role of a, a, a creative director to, to any of the listeners? 
my role of, of creative director, as I kind of briefly mentioned, is, a, is to be a bit of an orchestrator of um, an overall campaign. So it's very much working at a, a strategic level um, to, to think about how to bowl down sometimes complex requests, either, you know, from, from colleagues or, you know, in the past, obviously, it's been from, from clients into something that's really going to resonate with uh, with a consumer. So it's thinking about things on a more of a holistic campaign level rather than a granular uh, level that's talking to a consumer in a very particular way through a single channel. So quite often I'll be working on campaigns across multiple channels and it's understanding that overall kind of journey and the consistency of that messaging across that journey. Whereas Quite often when I'm working with a design director, they've got a very specific task in hand that I am, you know, I'm kind of helping them out with or giving mm-hmm. them guidance on from a brand perspective. They might be working on building an app or, you know, building a website um, where there's a little bit more of a structured process to the way that they work. And, you know, it's a, it's about those two worlds colliding and and, and getting the best out of both worlds. Because if I if I continue to do what I do as a creative without that structure from a design director point of view, um, it's probably going to be a little too outlandish in terms of being transformed to something that speaks to someone on more of a consistent um, brand level, so to speak. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think that's where our well, our sort of relationship and partnership at Smart Tech comes together, right? Is that that coming together of how do we translate the brand into something that feels functional and becomes a, a tool for the user and yet embodies that character um, that we're, we're trying to create through, through the various different channels. Yes, indeed. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, kind of touching upon that unorthodox kind of path that I've had, you know, I've been very fortunate to kind of work with, with great designers along the way. So, you know, I've been reminded of the skills that I learned when I was you know, back in back in the uni days to when to embrace them and when to almost kind of abandon them when you need to go off on a journey of pure creative thought and get the best ideas or the most unusual ideas that are really going to resonate with with the audience. So it's very important to to kind of embrace both sides of the equation as as a creative director, I think. We should dive into this because I think this is a really interesting place and something that I, I discuss with my team quite regularly of how do we stay focused on the task and deliver it but how do we also then step back change perspective break the mold a little bit um and find different inspiration from from your point of view when you're trying to work through a design challenge are there any particular activities or 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 ceremonies or places that you look for inspiration that help you think more more divergently or is it always something that just happens quite organically for you yeah i suppose you i suppose it's ingrained in you over time but I think the most important thing that anyone is ever taught or eventually comes to the realization is to just abandon absolutely everything, um, you know, ab- absorb, absorb, be a complete and utter sponge for the information you need to know. And then most importantly, forget about it, you know, go off, ride a bike, go for a run, go to the cinema, do whatever you can to, to kind of momentarily forget that. And that's when, you know the ideas come at the, the oddest of times uh, and it's you know it's important to continue to do that i think we are so kind of het up in working to a rigid structure 
of a particular framework of of always kind of adhering to a, a strict kind of time process to everything, whereas that's in reality not how ideas come at all. Um, I you know I, I carry my phone with me everywhere, and I've you know I in the old days before kind of mobile phones I used to carry a little notebook. Now everything's in in notes, and you know I'll often kind of get the you know rudely kind of get my phone out in <laughs> the middle of a conversation and have to jot something down because it's come to me in that moment so and then going back to kind of inspiration itself everywhere and anywhere because you know our ideas should resonate with real life no matter you know what interpretation of, of real life that is it's important to to embrace absolutely every side of it and you know, as much as it's great to have hobbies in a particular area, you know, get yourself out of that comfort zone, make, your, make yourself really uncomfortable and make sure you try new things all the time, because that's the thing that really kind of drives you and will drive a, a constant renewed interest in who you are and how you tackle things on a, on a regular basis. Yeah, I, I, I would totally agree. It's a bit of the, you need a bit of pressure for an idea to to get sparked and then you know finding like i would refer to as positive procrastination like the idea of stepping back going for a run having a shower having something to drink and i'm, I'm the same for my wife i'll sit there and say one second at dinner get my phone out and start jotting down an idea for a, a podcast or or something for design mm. and typically I, I don't know if i find myself at the end of the day two or three hours after i've finished doing meetings and working with the team on different projects just going oh okay what if i just grab half an hour which sometimes turns into two hours of doodling out ideas. And I, I agree. I don't think it's necessarily a, a structure that you can, you can put into place, which generates ideas. And I've always struggled a little bit with the idea of forced ideas through two-day workshops. Whereas as a designer, I've never found that's where the best ideas happen. I have conversations. I think about it. I draw some ideas. And a couple of days later, I come back to that problem again. And I've got a whole, whole different angle to it. Yeah, totally. And I... I think there are probably two sides to the way that we should be working. One is the, the idea generation side of things. So it's really about freeing up your mind and being as open as possible to what thoughts will come into that. And then there's the implementation of those ideas. So it is the, mm. it is the more rigid, you know, grunt work of going through either, you know, either visualizing the ideas or workshopping those ideas so they can eventually be, um, visualize so you know make sure that you kind of break out that process a little bit more and get into a bit of a rhythm of knowing the difference between the two because it's it's far too easy to just jump on a mac and start kind of coming up with thoughts before you've even been through the truly creative process of exploring where it's got the ability to go yeah i'm gonna agree more i think um i'll ask guests on the show gaddy gaddy amett who runs new Deal design in, in san fran he described i think one of his biggest accomplishments about was around convincing his UX and UI designers, product designers to stop, you know, going to the Mac as the default and actually telling stories through sketching. So, you know, really getting back to drawing out scenes or illustrations or, or post notes, characters, anything to make them think in a different angle. And I think for him, it, it sounded like that was one of his greatest successes was let's not rush to something that is necessarily going to give you, you know, the shiny looking thing. Let's start with something that feels cheaper so you can keep expanding and changing your ideas without it feeling too. Uh, too much that you're sacrificing something that you're you're invested in. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, kind of touching upon that thought of kind of breaking up the routine and doing things in a slightly different, uh, unstructured way. 
there's a great book on editing so vid video editing um called in the blink of an eye and one of the chapters is all about you know doing things from a completely different angle even even literally kind of don't sit in your chair stand up and edit and you'll see things in a different way and that might seem a bit kind of basic but when you think about it if you if you're if you're mixing up the routine even ever so slightly you can start to see things in a very very different manner so it's important to kind of you know embrace the different side of things and as i say you know get outside of that comfort zone as much as possible mm -hmm. yeah i couldn't i couldn't agree more we we've gone way off from where i thought we were going to go with this yeah. conversation but this is good this is <laughs> yeah i need to i need i still need to tell you about my uh potted history um i think we like literally stopped on uh we stopped and then <laughs> gone down gone down this route but it's been yeah. it's been good well let, let's yeah. loop back to that i'm sure we can we can come back into this so yeah one of the one of the things that i i observed i was going obviously going through your cv and looking at linkedin etc and your website um well you know i've been doing you know since, since before i joined the company actually getting to know colleagues etc but anyway recently and i came across you were at definition design partnership yes and am i right in thinking that you were you were in it this group you were doing something obviously quite extraordinary and you were recognized by, by the client and then asked to become a, a junior partner and create director in that role. But that was, was that one of your first roles? And then they, there was something that they saw and boom, you were, you were moving up. Yeah. So that was the, the very first role. So yeah, I started off in music industry with a bit of video games work as well. And um, yeah, it was, it, it was weird. So kind of, you know, Jumping into that, it was it was a junior designer job. I had a I had a client who was a big fan of my work, and one day, he kind of simply kind of remarked to the agency owners, "They'd better make me an offer to ensure <laughs> I I stuck around." So fast forward to a few months later, and they made me a junior partner in the company. I think it was about wow. I think I was twenty three at the time, so I hadn't been work I've been working there a couple of years, maybe. And um, oddly enough, the little kind of side story, the, the client that kind of was a big fan of my work, um, the first time he ever came in to see, to, to see me or to, to work with me on a project I was working on, he, he picked up the work and ripped it up in front of me and the, the owners and said, what the hell, what the hell is this? Actually, that wasn't the language you used, but that's what he said. Okay. <laughs> he didn't, he didn't understand my work. I think it was a bit avant-garde for him. Eventually he became one of my biggest kind of advocates for my work and understood its, its place in the modern world. <laughs> um, so yeah, so eventually I became junior partner and then fast forward to a few years later, I found myself as, as not just junior partner, but creative director and part owner of the very first agency I stepped into. So you know, as a young designer, you can't say no to that. True. But of, of course, you know, <laughs> eventually I realized I'd done it all completely the wrong way around. And a few, few years later, I think I've been there for about seven years eventually. And then we parted ways and I joined a larger agency um, with the leverage of bringing some, some contacts with me. Um, so that kind of, you know, that paved my way for working in slightly large organizations with a bit more structure where. I didn't have to do absolutely everything. I could concentrate on being a bit more of a creative director rather than being sat in, I don't know, finance meetings or whatever. Mm. 
so yeah it was a uh, you know that that format of continuing to join agencies and bring clients along um you know was was great i kind of did that and gained wider experience at more and more agencies and then eventually i realized i should really be doing that myself again i think i'd, I'd got gained enough um experience by then to go and co-found uh itchy the agency in 2009 mm. um so yeah that was uh, and that kind of transformed everything in terms of you know all that experience making sense all of a sudden being able to plow it into something that was truly kind of owned by myself mm. what was um rolling back to definition design partnership mm. when you say you know you did things maybe the wrong way around what what does what does that mean for you do you feel like you maybe did you grow into a senior role too quickly was it something about staying more hands-on in the craft before managing the team yeah but a combination of, of a few things i guess it was having to manage not just my own time but you know junior designers at a young age is quite difficult especially when mm. they're pretty much the same age as you and all of a sudden you're you're <laughs> their boss so there's that side of things and also going back to that thought about doing things in a slightly unorthodox way, feeling like I hadn't really learned my trade and my craft the proper way through through uh, through other creative directors because you know they were they were the guys I was working with weren't necessarily purist kind of designers where you know they were they had the skills to kind of teach me you know to mm -hmm to kind of pass down to me uh you know one of the guys was an ex kind of progressive rock musician who just happened to have lots of contracts in the music industry and started a design agency designing record sleeves wow that was pretty much <laughs> it um but then when they realized what my kind of talents were that's when the the work started to kind of broaden out into to other areas so eventually we were working for the likes of Silverstone Grand Prix circuit penguin books um lots of clients in the video games industry as well um so i was i was bringing a little bit more of that sensibility for design but at the same time i wasn't necessarily kind of building on top of that from experts in the the design field it was still very much kind of an anarchic process in terms of the way that i the way that i uh, approached the work mm. yeah so so yeah going to going to the next agency after that it was very much a case of i can see that there are some people here that i can learn off of you know in terms of how you communicate with an audience and you do it on a, a more strategic level um so you know it was great to work with you know pe either people who are from slightly different backgrounds or brand strategists you know i felt like i learned so much about brand strategy from one particular guy john who used to head up kind of the brand for orange mobile wow. back in the day yeah. um and that was you know that was a turning point in my career where once i once i went to again found an agency in the future i was able to not just wear that creative director hat but really truly wear the strategist hat as well and you know make sense of things and speak to marketing directors on a level where you know it wasn't just about selling in the the creative idea it was selling in the resonance and the power of that idea to speak to consumers in the right way mm. yeah and so that was it was it john would would you say that john was almost like um we were actively looking for almost what, like a mentorship relationship with with 
with colleagues at that point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, well and truly. I think uh, you know we used to have lots of conversations outside of work as well, and I was just I was just keen to know absolutely everything that he mm. he'd learned and. I didn't want to become a strategist necessarily, but I felt like it was such a powerful part of my job to to try and at least understand that process and and implement it into my work. So he was a a huge fan, and one of his mentors was a guy called Martin Newmeyer, who's wrote who's written a number of books on the subject of a brand strategy. Um, the brand gap is one of them, and when the world zigzag. You might be familiar with these titles. I've heard them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's their little Bibles, you know, their little pocketbooks for, um, you know, just lessons that we need to continue to go back to again and again. Because I sometimes think that so many creative people, including myself at times, forget what those fundamentals are and why they're there for a reason. Yeah, that's true. I think um, you get you get caught up in the problem or the challenge of its time and then retrospectively look back and go oh yeah of course that was that that lesson i learned 10 years ago why didn't i bring that forward in the conversation yes totally yeah you know it's because we're all you know as creative people we are so you know enthused by the process and desperate to get our ideas out sometimes we have to you know remember those fundamentals again going back to the the idea of you know learning to drive a car you can't be completely unorthodox unorthodox about that you've still got to you know learn to drive in the in the yeah. right in the right lane and indicate etc you can't go off on a tangent completely so it's all about balance it's all it's all about you know the exploring the creative mind but also exploring the logic behind that those decisions as well yeah that's very true it's really interesting i was, I was talking about that with a couple of the listening designers in, in in my department this week there seems to be a little bit of an element when you start off you need to understand how to automate the design process and you become faster and quicker. And over time, the, the more confident and more experienced you become, the more you internalize it. But at a certain stage, it, it feels that you need to then start, start um, need to be able to articulate that again. So you need to be able to reflect and, you know, ex, you know externalize your ideas and concepts. So it's weird because you, you become faster as you become more professional. And then you somewhat lose the ability because it's moved into a different aspect of your brain. And then you need to then say, okay, how do I break this down into like the OKRs? What's the rationale? What's the journey? What's the story I'm trying to convey here? And then at that level, you end up becoming, you're moving into a more senior perspective where you can then guide, you know, junior members around those ideas and, and ways of working. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think a lot of that comes intuitively over time. You know, you, you, you try and ex- explain your process sometimes and i think it's it's sometimes quite difficult to understand how you've got to be the way you are that's you know that just kind of gets ingrained in you over over time really yeah i think it's nice sometimes to be forced to break down your process to to become that mentor and understand if if i were to bump into my you know 20 year old self what would i tell them what were the fundamental kind of principles and guidelines would i would i give my 20 year old self to to make myself even kind of better and it's good to kind of to to understand your own process to dissect it a little bit more and and be able to transfer that into some very very simple guidelines for any kind of junior designers or even senior designers who who need some guidance from time to time so um yeah i think it's just something that, that that happens with age and experience really so 
I'm grateful at least I've got that on my side these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's very true. It's um, it is kind of it is kind of challenging to to go through the process. The thing is, I I find with design, there are there are certain things around the process of how we generate ideas and how we engage and and how we deliver stuff on a technical level that I think is easier to explain. But a lot of it feels to me in some way quite organic and i don't know if it is organic or it's just because i've internalized so much of that um but it often seems to me to come down to very simple simple you know um rules conversation critically missed by so many people not engaging with stakeholders and generating ideas with you know multiple people to me it feels very obvious but I, if i was to look back retrospectively when i started you know when i was at you know college university doing design and then i got into into industry i probably wasn't doing that much of like, you know, quote unquote networking or stakeholder management. And I think that conversation is probably a big starter to keeping a project, one, one, one kicking it off, two, keeping it on track and three, actually generating the ideas, which now when, when I talk to people about it and I, you know, done a couple of podcasts on the other end of, of the interview and try to do, talk through this, a lot of it just seems really obvious, you know, engage people, have conversations, treat people as you want to be treated if you were listening to that feedback. But perhaps these these things that feel obvious to us now are are not so so much when you're starting off in the in the space. Yeah, and I suppose also I suppose when you're younger, you are you are probably a little bit more of a sponge. You're probably a lot more kind of open minded to naturally have those conversations or getting to situations where you are not necessarily speaking to the same people day in day out. You know, you're you're exploring who you are as a young young person. So naturally, you're mm. going to go on a bit of a journey there. So. That's why I think the older you get as a, a creative, the more you need to kind of force yourself to get into those situations where you aren't speaking to the same people. You're not having the same conversation over and over again. You know, keep it, keep it fresh. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, very important to, to kind of force yourself. I think that I've, I've just realized I've been talking about the same thing again and again. And that idea that I have to remind myself to get myself out of that comfort zone, you know, um, mm. You know, that's, I suppose that's one of the, the guiding principles that I'd give my 20 year old self, you know, make sure you do that. And I'd, I'd probably answer back, well, I'm doing that at the moment. I'm going to so-and-so club tonight. I've never been to or whatever, you know. <laughs> so there's, you know, there's part of that, but it's uh, maybe it's about my, more about my 20 year old self fast forwarding and reminding my older self to uh, keep it fresh and mix it up a bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I think that's, um, probably where like actually in the design process now what we what we're embodying at smart tech is this this idea when we're coming up with you know product directions or creative direction or brand direction whatever it will be it's why it's so valuable for us to be speaking with customers or potential customers on such a regular basis because it's you know in from our point of view from a creative angle it's really about keeping those ideas fresh and making sure that we're getting different perspectives it's not just the bubble of what we create it's you know what what the heck does everyone else think about this in the world yeah well I think it's far too easy to to um to work in a very siloed um situation you know uh I find that especially having worked on the agency side you know far too many times those those ideas are generated because you think they're going to win awards not necessarily resonate with with the consumer so mm. not always not always you know admittedly but there have been certain circumstances where everything is a little too kind of shortage central in terms of those <laughs> ideas that are being generated to the point where it's it becomes too much of a cliche and it's too too much of an obvious thing to do where you're you're almost kind of solely selling in that product or that brand to other creative people and not looking outside of that you know we have to 
remember, if you if you go outside of London or even the south the southeast, there are other parts of the UK which are very very different and a and a lot more di- kind of diverse than than what we think is going on in London. We always think of you know London as this kind of melting pot, but unfortunately, within this melting pot, everyone gets molded into a similar mindset and type of person. I think, regardless of what individual kind of tribes they're they're part of, I think everyone starts to get a little bit more of the same sensibility or mm. you know ideas about how life should be and very important to break out and understand you know what what normal people do you know because yeah unfortunately as you know creative people as designers we're not normal people we are people that obsess over the most minute of details which isn't normal at all as far as i'm concerned it's yeah. you know it's all it, it's almost like you know being struck by not necessarily i wouldn't i wouldn't call it an illness but it's like being struck by um a very particular set of rules or a very particular mindset which you can't get off out of you know it's a it's a very particular mindset as a creative director i'm almost kind of forced to be highly critical of everything that comes onto my desk through email etc i it's my job to die digest that dissect it and understand is it right for the job in hand and quite mm. often you know it doesn't matter how wonderful the you know the creative is or the marketing person is that i'm working with as you know as an experienced creative director i'll look at it and i'll immediately help be able to kind of point out how it could be become better so that you know that critical eye gets ingrained in you and it's the reason why i say you're kind of I suppose you're burdened with that to a certain extent is because that critical eye then infiltrates itself into the rest of your life. Whereas I'm probably far too critical of my, my children's homework. You know, if that, if that that art homework comes in and, you know, I'll, I'll obviously put my kind of creative creative director hat on rather than my dad hat on (laughs) and start giving them the critique. It's very hard to get out of that mindset. And sometimes you have to remember you're, you're just a dad here. You're not, you're not trying to be there teacher or their mentor you're just trying to you know praise them for the fantastic work they've done um so yeah i, I must admit i probably struggle with that a little bit at times yeah i know i know what you mean i i think i drive my wife a bit nuts sometimes when i'm sat sat watching a film or an advert and i'll just sit there and go spontaneously look at it and go that type's not center aligned <laughs> oh that transition what's going on there yeah do, do you do you do that as well and stuff yeah i i think in the early days of my career, I was probably a lot more relaxed and I was absorbing everything for what it, for what it was. The problem, I suppose, is that, you know, kind of 10 years down the line from the start of my career, I started to get involved in more and more kind of moving image and film-based work to the point where I wasn't just kind of wearing that creative director hat anymore. I was wearing an editor's hat. You know, I always like, I always like to kind of learn a particular part of the trade by mm. doing it as much, you know, hands-on as much as possible. So in the early days of kind of cutting, you know, video games, trailers, and short films, I would literally sit in the cutting room with an editor and, you know, learn absolutely everything and then want to do it myself. You know, so I, you know, cut a few things in my in the past as well. I quite like that that side of the trade. And then when when you're ingrained in the hands-on process, you know, you're so invested in that that process yourself that's where you become even more highly critical because you understand the efforts that need to be done the nuances that need to be made 
to make this the you know the perfect kind of narrative flow through throughout that that piece of you know video or film or whatever so yeah unfortunately i'll continue to do that it's again i'd call it a burden i think you know it's very it's very hard to enjoy things in the way that you know i say kind of normal normal people i don't know whether normal even exists anymore for anybody but um i think it's very hard for me to appreciate in the way that people that don't do this for a living are able mm. to to experience a film for sure yeah i think it's true and it's an interesting because it's a burden yet it's almost the blessing right because i think this is what mm. has given you again objectively looking at your career and what what we're doing now it has given you that that edge to allow you to excel and actually you know not only you know be promoted up in various organizations but found your own own agency and then you know move in house and run you know this relatively big brand as well so uh somewhat a double-edged sword but also something you know somewhat a bit of a miracle i think yeah well it's i think everything you know i'd like to think everything happens for a reason for sure you know regardless of how unusual your your path is your career path is absolutely everything i don't had i not been through the all the other kind of jobs that i've been through in the process that i've been through in the past i don't think i'd be where i am now so you know once you know eventually i actually you know people thought i was crazy but i eventually left itchy the the agency mm. that i co-founded um and that was t- you know that was a, an interesting kind of choice to make in itself because I, I was producing some of the best work in my career you know award-winning we'd, we'd opened an office in uh, uh, los angeles as well as london everything was going really well but something deep down inside me was was stopping me from being even better mm. um so i so i left you know i it, it probably didn't really help that i I suppose I never really truly considered myself to be a gamer. So I work in the video games industry a lot. You know, mm. I think I was very good at pretending I was a good gamer maybe. Um, but then but then kind of fast forward to what I was doing after that, I was able to work with a much wider remit of clients. So I, you know, I was working with Google, Unilever, Dyson, Chanel, Jaguar mm. Land Rover, to name a few, including some lovely kind of purpose-driven campaigns. And then all of a sudden I get a call out the blue from Vodafone um, asking me to come and head up their in-house creative studio for smart tech. And this is, this is my first venture in-house and something that I feel is incredibly rewarding, but wouldn't have happened had I not gone through that whole process with learning things in a slightly different way and, and having a very, very broad remit in terms of the clients I was able to work with. So I've always been a massive kind of, tech fan so it's like a dream come true really yeah going in house has, has got its own set of challenges but its own set of very very unique uh, rewards i've i'm in a, in a very privileged position where i get to oversee the entire vision for that for that brand and of course working with the likes of yourself and some other very very talented people but you know ultimately the you know there's a lot of kind of pressure on my head to kind of get the vision for that brand right and you don't get that if you're working in an agency, you know, one minute you'll have a brief sent to you for a TV campaign or, a, you know, a social campaign or whatever, or experiential. Um, but it's very, very rare. If I was working on agency side, I'd get to work on so many different touch points and have, and be so truly invested in the vision for, for an overall brand. So yeah, it's in- incredible really in terms of, 
what we've got the ability to do together. I mean, our, our journey is only really just in its infancy and just started, but we're already super excited. Obviously, we catch up on a regular basis and we're already so excited about where it's got the possibility to go and where we're going to take this. So, yeah, it's great. Great to be at the start of the journey, really. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. We've, we've, done, a, we've done another complete route around going into itchy in your whole career but we've landed on smart tech so i guess let's uh let's dive into because there's a ton we can talk about here yeah i think you're you're right i mean i worked in in startups and agency um a little bit at the beginning of my career before going in-house the challenge that i had was never being able to really get my teeth into that into that product and spend a lot of time understanding all the various nuances in the last four five years it's been much more focused around like how do i how do i understand you know, every different angle and touch point so we can create this this magical consistency across this. So it feels like one one tone of voice, right? You know, one, one identity. And I think it might be, would it be worth us trying to dive into that? I know that what we're, we're trying to create at Smart Tech is a, a very consumer, people-orientated design culture. Mm. What, does that, what does that look like in your mind? I know you and I have discussed this a little bit, but what does a design, what, what does the ideal design culture look like? And what does that mean for for any given brand or product company? Well, I think first and foremost, it's, it's setting out some very, very clear principles for who, who you are and what you, what you stand for um, that, yes, of course, resonate with us in-house, but equally resonate with our consumers in terms of the angle that we are taking, that we, that we sit very, very comfortably within the world of smart tech. And, you know, that, that, those, that those principles, you know, position us and, you know, give the consumer a very, very clear understanding of, of where we're going, where we're going with this. And there is, a, there is a clear narrative. There is a clear story to be told in terms of our particular role within, mm. the, within the world of smart tech. So I don't, think it's, I don't think it's necessarily rocket science in terms of what we're doing. However, when you're transforming yourself from being traditionally a, a telco kind of model into a more of a tech-driven offering for Vodafone, mm. then obviously you have to do things in, in a slightly different way um, that resonates with, with consumers on, in, in, through the right channels in, in the right style and tone. So it's about shifting perceptions. It's about making us desirable. Uh, and it's it's about having relevance in people's lives, um, but relevance in a way that our role as Vodafone still makes complete and utter sense of that. So it's a bit it's a it's a bit like kind of embracing the old of the, the heritage of who Vodafone stands for as an overall mm -hmm. organization, but it's about injecting something incredibly new and exciting into the equation as well, and. and you know, putting those into a melting pot. So, and that's the structure. That's the, you know, the the principle that we should be applying to the way that we do things as well. Not forgetting, not forgetting the old. You know, remembering the past and where we've come from, but showing how we can drag the past into the future, um, and really kind of position ourselves in a in a very new and exciting way. That yes, we get excited about getting up in the morning working on. But ultimately, the, you know, that our audience get super excited about and understand that, that this is a brand new chapter 
for who we are and where we're going. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think the, the thing that really drew me to Vodafone, well, one was the brand identity you've been creating. I was hugely inspired by by the simplicity of the palette and and the position and just the refinement that was coming from what has historically been quite a big, bold brand that is now somewhat maybe a little bit more sophisticated. And then with that was this huge heritage of connecting millions and millions of people on a global level. And then we're applying something that I'm very, super passionate about is how do we connect people through you know, IoT, through hardware that forms this beautiful synergy between you know, the real world, the digital world, and the physicality of, of device. Um, I think it's a, it's a really interesting one for us to try and, well, one, obviously through the efforts of understanding the market and the, and the customer and their stories back to the early point, it's all around finding that relevance and, um, and value that we can, we can basically, you know, crack open. And then how we then convey that story, because it's not just the sense of, you know, we have to identify who the audience are, what they're looking for, but then once we've created that product, is that this is where we start to collaborate quite quite closely. How do we then tell that story in a way that that resonates and echoes the values that we are, we earlier identified? And I think that is it's quite an interesting challenge given the diversity of the potential routes we could go down, and also the diversity of our audience, you know, across you know Europe and various other markets. Yeah, but I think. It, it absolutely it's a challenge but i think also you know there's there's a universal truth in what we're doing so if mm. you, you know boil it down to the absolute basics we've got an in, inanimate plastic object you know connected through you know a piece of magic inside which happens to be our vodafone smart sim mm. however it's that it's the strong kind of emotional resonance connection to that product and what and what effectively that product unlocks. So whether that's you, you know, keeping in touch with a loved one, you know, or 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 or, or keeping in touch with something that's very kind of valuable and personal to you, you know, this is something that is true in all of our products because of that GPS connectivity. So it's really about unlocking those stories on an individual level. Mm. that will resonate the most and some of those stories are universally kind of recognized whether it's a, a bond between a, a parent and a child or someone you know absolutely falling in love with their first car and you know almost kind of you know personifying that car and humanizing mm. that car i think lots of people kind of give their cars a name True. <laughs> i can't remember what my first car was called to be honest with you but i'll have to think about that one but i'm pretty sure i called it something um probably janet or something <laughs> Something boring, an old auntie or grandma's name or something. Um, but I think it, yeah, I think it's absolutely, it's about um, having that personal connection uh, and, and telling those stories because that's where all of a sudden we have, we've humanized our own product. We've given it a personality. I think it's very important that as, as our communications and our brand starts to develop, we start to give our our products a little bit of personality. Now it's great if you've got uh, a mobile phone or even with with Neo, our, our kids watch, you've got a screen where you can, a lot of that expression and that personality comes across in what's shown on the screen. Mm. That's great. However, not all of our products do that. So going, going to Curve, obviously it's a, a GPS tracker. Yes, there are some you know little lights on it, but it's not like messages pop up on, on top of that. 
So it's how, how do you start to use language and position that product in, in, a, in a certain way where people understand the emotional connection to what that, what that product is, is attached to, where, you know, where, what journey that product's going on either with you or without you and understanding that and tapping into that. I think that's, that's very, very important for, for us to realize to our audience what our specific role is and how important that role ultimately is. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think this is where this, um, this is what's so great about the balance that we, you know, the conversations that we're having on a regular basis is whilst, whilst we need to unpack these stories and find product solutions to, to improve people's lives through, through this magic of smart tech and our, and our connected sims, um, there's also how do we keep the, you know, the device, the tool ultimately a tool? How do we keep it simple to use, comfortable and adaptive for multiple different people, um, very utilitarian, and at the same time, how does it adapt to fit into the stories and, and lives of, of any given customer and help drive and enhance what their experiences are? And I think that's that really interesting dynamic that we have between like product designing and, and the creative element of, of our design studios of how we bring those two things together that arguably, and again, we're at the very beginning of the journey in many ways, but we're starting to see that now get a foothold in market and, and start to resonate which is very humbling and a huge honor, but starting to resonate with, with quite a good audience, you know, across, what are we across now? Um, Spain, Germany, Portugal. I think we just launched in South Africa as well. Yeah. So it's really interesting to see how these different cultures and societies and then families and individual interpretations of that brand and product will evolve in time and, and how we can better refine that product experience and then our positioning around, you know, what is ultimately the human experience. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's interesting because when you first launch a product, you you're almost trying to be all things to everyone to to land the most recognised kind of use case of that that product, or you know the most obvious use case um, of that product to 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 wide as audience as possible, and then kind of fast forward six months down the line, that's when you can start to be a little bit more granular and tap into mm. those really individual personal um experiences of that product and and what that means on on a on a more kind of fine focused level so that's that's the exciting bit to me you know it's it's all you know it's almost like a the worst kind of brief in the world being asked to do everything to everyone you know you can't you can't be kind of single-minded but you've got to go through the processes of kind of launching that product and making people aware of the the basic kind of functionality of the product but you know that what I'm working on this year specifically for the things like Curve is really understanding how we start to tap into those individual stories and and what that means on a very very basic level for that for that individual. So hopefully we'll start to become very very rounded in terms of what our overall user experience is and understanding of of that product. Um, you know, that's the bit that kind of excites me where hopefully, you know, the consumers that have eventually bought that product, they'll, they'll look at it and they'll, they'll immediately be able to kind of link that back to something that we've created. Mm. Um, that's the, you know, that's the biggest challenge. I think, um, you know, I've, I've read some great comments online about, you know, the marketing that we've created so far. Um, so, you know, it means we're doing 
it means we're doing the right thing. We're going down the right area. But where we've got the ability to go with it is even more exciting, I think, from my from my standpoint. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's, as you said, like it's that maturing of the market understanding. We've got a great understanding of who our customers are today. But we're obviously, again, investing as you are on your side and we you know with our colleague Kelly from Customer Insights. It's always that continue. How do we unpack more? How do we learn more about the, the audience? How do we learn more about the individual stories? And those, it's fascinating to see how product is adapted on use cases that we, we have never imagined before. And then is then evolving and growing as we learn about these new stories and, and ways of using a product and, you know, whole new opportunities that we, we hadn't thought about 12 months ago are now starting to emerge as we think about the next 12 to 24 months. Yeah, totally. So um, prime example is Curve. Okay, so our first product in, in the designer connected range uh, is Curve Smart GPS Tracker. And, you know, the use cases that we were tapping into for launch were attaching it to your bag, your keys, et cetera. Mm. However, we've read stories about farmers putting it on all their cows to, you know, keep keep track of those, or even, you know, someone is putting them on lobsters or whatever. The, yeah, must, I did hear about the lobster one. That was yeah, must be, that was a fascinating story. <laughs> so lo- lobster theft must be rife in certain areas of the, you know, wherever wherever they were found. So yeah, it's just bizarre. I do love the idea of um, a farmer attaching them to to the cows to make sure they're safe and sound at night or whatever, and they're back in the back in the shed so you know there's nothing to say that further down the line we might kind of go out to the farming community and start selling our products more widely spread within within those guys who who knows and that's that's the great thing about listening to listening to the consumer understanding yeah. what our product has become and you know we could we can suggest all we like what our product is and what it should be but that you know that stands for nothing because at the end of the day the audience will tell you what it is, what it stands for mm-hmm. from a brand perspective, from a product perspective and where it should be going. And that should be the ultimate thing that dictates where we go with, with any of our products. Obviously, it's a little bit more clear cut for the likes of a kid's smartwatch. It is what it is. But for some of these more widespread and multi-use products, it's quite fascinating where, where that's got the ability to go, I think. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's really it's really interesting to see how this will shape out and evolve in time. Um, yeah, I don't know. I wonder what other use cases we'll discover. I love the, lo- the lobster story, though. Really, really, really made me smile when I, when I came across that the other week. What an incredible use case. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, things, you know, lots of things go roaming, don't they? So, you know, is this, is this a, you know, ultimately it's about things that go on the move. So anything other than something that's locked down can go on the move at some point. Mm. You know, whether it's a lobster or a car, you know, everything's got the ability to go to go off on its own adventure, maybe, or through the through the aid of someone perhaps kind of stealing that thing. So who knows? Who knows? So would it would it be fair to say for and again just think about the community listening to this? Would it be fair to say that we're both aligned that really we have to continuously look for inspiration from beginning through the journey and even after launch? From, from the audience, we have to be constantly speaking to, listening to, and seeking inspiration in order for us to stay what, relevant uh, and develop a product and a brand that you know, actually has value. Yes, absolutely. I think you know, the more we can do that with as wider audience as possible, I think it's very important. I, don't, I sometimes get nervous about very kind of um, focused level research on, you know, on smaller groups. Um, 
qualitative kind of process that people go through. You know, I'm I'm not a research expert, so I might be kind of disparaging some of the great work that's been done. But sometimes it does concern me slightly. Um, whereas I'm I'm interested in soaking up as much kind of background and feedback as possible from as wide a scope as possible to really understand where where are the strong kind of touch points, where where are the most obvious kind of hot spots in terms of where those conversations are happening and how can we address that rather than, again, going back to the lobsters. It might be an isolated case or it might be something that we've all of a sudden kind of opened up and tapped into that that is uh, something that we should be looking at. So, yeah, take it take it with a pinch of salt and make sure that you cast that net as wide as possible in, ter- in terms of understanding realistically, you know, what that feedback is and where, where the most kind of points of resonance are that we can tackle and utilize and bring on board in terms of how we improve that product. Mm, yeah. And then if we were looking internally, and again, I think we've got a really great thing jiving between these two different studios of ours, you know, forming the smart tech family that we have. I think that's, for a lot of companies, and at least a few that I've been part of, there can be a bit of a territorial thing that is disruptive to the success of the brands and, and how people work. What do you think we are doing well, hopefully well, it feels like we are, that others should maybe look at in terms of building a successful brand and, and product relationship within, within the, the studios and the development teams themselves? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's keeping those channels as open and regular as possible more than anything else i think i always again this is something that's happened to me throughout my career not necessarily kind of working in my own agencies or anything but going you know whether you're going in-house or into another agency as a creative director sometimes people people immediately see that title and either you know love it or hate it you know it's got Mm. a bit of a it's i think you know, being a creative director, I think it's probably down to bloody Don Draper in Mad Men more than anything else. But being a creative director sometimes comes with some preconceptions about who you are and, and what you do. So if you come in, you've got you've to gotta opt people into your own process, into your way of thinking, you know, make, make them part of the journey. Be as collaborative as possible. Being a creative director isn't about being kind of guarded over your process. It's about being incredibly open and inviting to everyone so i think that's the way you know that we should you know adopt our process no matter who you are and what position you're in we should all be we should all be kind of taking a little bit of that and and kind of keeping those channels very very open and regular you know we obviously you know we get together on a regular basis Mm. on a weekly sometimes twice weekly basis and kind of talk about things. And I think even you kind of coming board has, has made that kind of bond between creative studio and product studio a lot more kind of powerful and, you know, effective together. Mm. The reason why it's so important as well is because at the end of the day, you guys are creating the product. If, if we don't have a true understanding of the product ourselves or don't know how that product is potentially kind of shifting and changing as the process goes on, then we're left in the dark. We are blinkered blinkered in terms of what we've truly got the ability to talk about or through your own user testing or you know advocacy programs you might have unlocked something that we hadn't necessarily realized was one of the most prevalent things we should be talking about to the consumer and all of a sudden that's going to change the goalposts in terms of what we talk about so historically perhaps those channels haven't been 
as open as and regular as we'd like them to have been. Mm. But we're in a very, very fortunate position now where we can act upon things a lot more immediately and effectively and be in a, a lot more of a comfortable position that come day one of launch, we are speaking to people in the right way from the outset rather than second guessing and kind of working our way through through that. Yeah, I totally agree. I think there's something in that of having the confidence and the the I get well maybe it's just purely confidence, confidence in to have those open conversations. And as you say, you know, certain titles can attach a an understanding or a perception. But I think one of the things that I really respect and love about the way that you work as a creative director is that you the director is you know it's a title. But the way that you operate is very much as a uh, a coordinator, a coach, and uh, you know, a hands-on creator. And I think we see that working very well across all our various teams at Smart, which is fortunate because I think the you know senior leadership team done an amazing job of curating some amazing talent. But I, I do think that miss- is missing in a lot of places. It's somewhat. I do wonder if the frictions we see in some organisations is because the various leaders or individuals don't have the confidence to share openly. Whereas I think we're very fortunate we have a very diverse but very uh, proactive and, and comfortable team to to work through problems uh, almost as you know regardless of titles and barriers, which is proven so far, you know, really effective for us. Yeah, I think, you know, some, you know, obviously this is where I, I guess I kind of blow my own trumpet uh, to a certain extent, but, uh, you know, quite often you'll go into organisations in-house and there won't, be a, there won't be a creative director at all. There'll be a marketing department and there'll be, you know, various people kind of, on the design side, but then there might not necessarily be a creative director. They'll be reliant more heavily on external agencies to kind of channel that overall kind of vision for where it is alongside obviously marketing directors or CMOs. So I think I'd like to think that, you know, where, wherever my shortcomings are, they're, they're amplified by other people I work with. And likewise, wherever, you know, other people's shortcomings are, I kind of make up for that that part um due to my experience so it's a lovely combination of the right people working together to forge a very very clear outlook for what you're trying to do and i think that i think that possibly comes from um from coming from an agency side so understanding kind of broad remit in terms of of how how a brand comes to life but having that daily investment in the in the brand as well really really helps yeah i absolutely agree with that right i know that we've been going for probably a little longer than we scheduled for an hour but let me start maybe look at a couple of well maybe one really big question yeah where where do we where do you feel that we should be looking as it, you know as responsible designers and, and creatives in the future what is our role and responsibility well, go, going back to some work that I was probably doing about 10 years ago now, I think immediately we have to be a lot more vocal as creatives in terms of understanding, you know, the purpose behind our product and, the, you know, the, the being either socially or ecologically responsible in terms of the absolutely everything we do, unless, unless we're vocal, then we're letting ourselves down, I think. Uh, you know, we need to be part of that conversation because I think a lot of the time, you know, creative people will be the will be the driving force behind kind of pushing that. So 
maybe that might be some kind of piece of advice to myself to uh, at an earlier kind of point to kind of look into you know delving into the types of brands and products that I'm working on and understanding is there a strong kind of purpose behind this uh you know don't just do don't just create beautiful designs for the sake of it understand what the deeper meaning of that is and how ultimately if you do something that has a real kind of heart and soul to it how much ex- extra resonance and emotional connection to that brand or that that product the audience will have you know the how much more respect you you almost can't do it now unless you've got a really kind of truly sustainable model and you know you're speaking to people in the right way and you're not doing it in a you know a lot of time advertising's to blame i guess for being a little too kind of jovial or not responsible that you are kind of you know you're you're on the right foot you you you've got somebody more or further invested in you as a brand they want to be part of that journey you know we have to go we have to go into things on a deeper level where you know that immediate gut reaction around that product and the reason why that product exists and the the entire ecosystem built around that product and everything that's kind of attached to that if i'm if i'm reacting to that in such a positive way that it feels like it is totally and utterly should be part of my world then we're off to such a better better start we're only going to do that by kind of looking inwardly and changing absolutely everything that we've got the power to do ourselves and why you know we can't we can't you know sit sit on our backsides and expect other people to do that for us you know someone's got to be the driving force for that so we've got to open up the conversations we are we're great people at communicating and articulating you know what we love and what we absolutely hate going back to the conversation earlier about dissecting absolutely everything let's use the power of creative thought and open up those conversations and start challenging those conversations and those norms because that's the only way things are ever going to change i think yeah i want to say i want to shout preach but maybe it's too religious (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i don't know maybe yeah no preach i think that's very true i couldn't have said it better myself 100% 100% agreed. I think this is why we get on well. Yeah. Very, very shared outlooks. Yeah. Well, Neil, I think that was a great, great place to, to wrap up. Um, as always, a pleasure, real pleasure catching up and uh, great to unpick your history a little bit and then, and then get into, you know, our different perspectives from design and, and, and talk about what we're doing. So really yeah. appreciate you uh, coming on the show. It's been awesome. No, thank you so much, Ash. It's been, it's been fantastic. And, you know, as much as I like to talk, I'm not sure I like to talk in front of the microphone. So you've got me out of my comfort zone, which is obviously <laughs> a, a proof point for doing things in the right way. So, yeah, thank you very much. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for taking time, mate. Really appreciate it. Cheers. And that's it for this episode. If you'd like to learn more, head over to designpodcast.co. If you'd like to support us, please share the episode with friends and family or support us on patreon.com forward slash the design podcast. Take care, guys.